0: The Spin Off Podcast Network. Raising capital or taking your business to the world? Investment Fix has everything you need to make it happen. This season, we're exploring the US market, the opportunities it offers, what it takes to grow a business there, and the best way to approach investors. The Investment Fix Podcast. Tune in today.
1: Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment?
2: Everyone and welcome to this extremely special episode of On the Rag, proudly brought to you by the Women's Bookshop. Now we have an extremely iconic guest in our midst. Most of you will probably know who she is, but before I introduce her, I implore that you all check out www. or visit them IRL on Ponsonby Road for each and every one of your Christmas needs. We're we're all on the on the same page on we're that, doing right? That. I'm doing all, all my your shopping Christmas shopping, at shopping. Store, yep, buy yourself, but buy yourself a lovely. Felt um, suffrage brooch. Yeah.
0: Why wouldn't you? Um, is there a men's bookshop? <laughs> <laughs> Sounds a bit sexist to me. And there she is. <laughs> it's Clementine
2: for. I mean, I have written a proper introduction for you. Shall we do it? Yeah, yeah. Do, it, do it, do it. Okay. Do it, embarrass her. Oh. I've used your own Twitter bio in it. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. So in a moment of bottled lightning we have our first ever returning international superstar guest. She's a twice published best selling author, a leading social commentator, an evergreen yass queen, and an unfuckwithable feminist demagorgon. It's Clementine Time Ford. Yay. Yay.
0: Woo-hoo. Woo-hoo. A Kia ora. I don't know, it was in your bio, you told us. Um, the Demogorgon is from Stranger Things.
1: Oh, yes. The, <laughs> yeah, the, the monster from the... the, the from the... Under, from the under, 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 uh, upside Down. Upside Down. Mm.
0: Upside down. Yep. Yes. Got it. Got
1: it. So as you devour
2: small children or... Oh.
1: Just the male ones.
0: <laughs> Only a few times a week, you know. <laughs> watching my figure. It's just <laughs> breakfast. <laughs> so you're in the country. You're promoting your
2: fabulous new book, Boys Will Be Boys. How's it been?
0: Um, it's weird to hear international guest <laughs> in Aotearoa <laughs> and practising decolonising the families. family yeah. right? You've, uh,
3: you married into New Zealand, didn't you?
0: Yeah, well, I'm not married, but, oh, right. uh, but yeah, part yeah. that into New Zealand. Yeah, um, yeah I love it here. Mm-hmm. You know, every time I come, I think, oh,
1: maybe I should move here. Um, we wouldn't be against that. And we'll keep your we'll no chair free, honestly. That. Now
0: that, uh, you know, Jacinda Ardern is Prime Minister as well. Yeah. And, you know yeah. what's
3: our prime what's, minister's better than yours? I know.
0: It's, it's it's true. Who is your prime minister
1: right now? <laughs> <laughs> how,
2: how would you even know? Aww.
0: What day is it?
2: <laughs> also, um, very exciting news. Sorry, Clementine.
0: Oh no, I was just going to say something about our prime minister's a total fuckhead.
2: Yeah. fuckhead there we go. Yeah. We got it's a fucky account number one. Clementine has also just joined our private Facebook group on the rag twenty four seven. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I feel like a milestone. It's pretty good. It's good. Yeah, I think I feel the quality of that page, which was already extremely high, has uh, has gone up. I don't know. Higher. I feel
3: like I lower the tone quite a lot, but <laughs> i <was> have <laughs> gonna be <laughs> in my game now. I
1: think balance is good. <laughs> I'm excited.
2: I'm excited to get in there and see what's happening. It's a beautiful, wholesome place on the internet. People just share like just things to make your day better. Oh, that yeah. sounds so and nice. And
1: questions, genuine and questions, struggles. conundrums, stuff that is. Yeah.
3: Unrelated to like feminism as oh, well, but perfect. just, you just need like a, a supportive group to get you yeah. through it, which yeah. I really love.
0: Because mm. feminism, you know, it is a lifesaver, but it can be exhausting mm. too. Mm. You mm. know, sometimes you do just, someone got angry at me the other day because I hadn't, you know, I'd failed to appropriately condemn the Greens throughout the state election because the Greens have been mired in, you know, lots of, um, Oh, lots of really terrible behaviour overlooking sexual harassment in some of their candidates and, uh, you know, covering up rape allegations, et cetera, like really bad stuff. But, you know, it's the end of the year. I'm exhausted. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to have a drink. You know, it also- but, and they're like, you, 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 you can't tweet anything bad about The Greens because you don't want to put off your base. You want to keep selling your books but you can find time to tweet about The Bachelor. It's like, yeah, <laughs> sorry. Surprise, sometimes yes.
1: I watch TV. <laughs> and also I, sometimes I feel like, um, you know, you're a doctor of some kind and you specialise in rheumatism and people go, why don't you do enough about <laughs> fasciitis? I don't know what I'm talking about. But you know, like you, you can pick your battles, right? Yeah.
0: Well, and also no, no one can A, comment on every single thing Mm. happening in the world or certainly be hope to be an expert on every single thing happening in the world. You know, this is the whole point about having a choir of people that contribute to activism is that Mm. sometimes when you are either too tired or not equipped to make comment on something, this is when other voices that are better placed to do so, you know, fill in the chorus. Mm.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
0: Now Clementine, yes. What
2: basically what we've done is dumped every single question we've ever wanted to ask you into a Google Doc, including a lot from our listeners. But I first wanted to ask you. So last night you were on the project. We love the project here
0: at On the Rag.
2: You've never been on the Australian
0: project. I've been on the Australian project um, in the Talking Heads thing that uh. they do, where they send camera crew to your house and you have to do your own makeup, so you look, <laughs> you know, half dead, um, and you, you know. Most importantly, do not get paid for it. Mm. Um, but uh, yeah, I've never been on the desk in the Australian project. I feel like I'd be really good at it. You were
2: wonderful. I Thank just found you. that quite shocking. I said, "Why are they not? Why are they not letting you on as a leading social commentator?"
0: I don't know. I don't know. I feel like I should have a regular, yeah. A yeah. regular gig on that because it's quite progressive, right? The Australian one is that. Well, isn't that why we started <laughs> one over here? Because it's sort yeah, of I mean, really... I think it's pretty, it's fairly left leaning. Yeah, you know? yeah, mm. yeah. Look, I'm not sure. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe, maybe they don't think. Buck I'm... Buck up your game, Australia. Mm. Yeah.
2: What surprised me is that well... I'm not,
0: not blonde enough. Although I am pretty blonde right, right now.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it surprised me that you were sort of introduced as, I think, their most controversial guest ever. In like last this night, very divisive. Yeah. And I, mean, in so the I must little... have just
0: tune. I must the, just tune out now whenever anyone uses that description about me because I hear it all the time.
2: And I was just sitting on my couch, being like, Are you? Do you see yourself as a divisive sort of figure of
0: controversy? Um, I don't, uh, because I don't, I think that, I think that claiming to be controversial means that there's some sort of element of cynicism to the work that you do. Mm. If you're being deliberately controversial, then you're, you actually don't care about the issue, you're just trying to rile people up, which, um, Sometimes is fun, but I don't think that that's what motivates me. Um, but I just think it's really easy to, you know, whether or not it's feminism, whether or not it's, it's civil rights, whether or not it's, you know, um, being an activist on gender issues, whatever it might be, anything that challenges the status quo and that makes people angry and that makes mm. some people who have historically held a lot of power feel like they might be losing it anything that makes them feel uncomfortable is framed as controversial. And because I'm not the kind of feminist as none of us are, because we're not the kinds of feminists that are like softly, softly be really nice and sweet and make sure that you provide the disclaimer all the time that, of course, we're not talking about any of the men in this room. Mm Of course, we know that most men are wonderful, amazing people and they would never, ever hurt anyone and they would always, always speak out against misogyny and sexism. Because I don't do any of that, it's comes across then, or, or people willfully misinterpret it as being, oh, well, she's just, you know, she's just bullshy and she's just a man hater and yeah. she's just controversial. It shouldn't be controversial to say, hey, one woman every week in this country in Australia is being murdered by a man. Yeah, that mm. shouldn't be. It shouldn't be controversial to say that. It should be controversial that that's still happening.
3: Yes. Yes. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Mm. Uh, yeah. Someone told me last year, someone who I love very much uh, described me as radicalized. And I was like, what the fuck? It was really shocking to me that someone could, like, as far as I'm concerned, I just, I get paid to, like, point out stuff that's real obvious that people have maybe not (laughs) thought about. But it's obvious stuff. Like you say, it's like, it's, the the statistics are what are shocking. Or with what I do, it's like the history of colonization in this Hmm. country is what's shocking. Me pointing that out
1: it's not radical I settle down it's pretty often like what both of you have just done is pointing at data Mm. and Mm. and so you know that's not radical or controversial I I like strident I've adopted strident as my adjective which is nice that's a nice word but it does blow me away that you might be the most controversial guest given that a couple of weeks ago they had a flat Ursa on (laughs) (laughs) well done Yeah, well, apparently it's more controversial to, you know, <laughs> yeah. want
0: humans to grow up in a world oh. that is free of patriarchy. Yeah, oh my God. Wow. <laughs> I'm so um, sorry. See, I really like the word uncompromising. That's my word oh, that's now. Good. Because Ooh. I feel like it, it's not, uh, it doesn't play into any kind of stereotypes about, around, um, mm. you know, it's, there's, no, there's nothing feminized about it, yep. you know, whereas women are often, described as feisty or yeah, strident, you know, shrill. Yeah. strident shrill whereas uncompromising can be applied yeah. to anybody and it's sort of it really kind of like outlines exactly what it is i'm uncompromising on the fact that i want to live in a world where you know women and children aren't being murdered by men
1: this is great i'm adopting that that's now mm. my adjective are just announcing that now <laughs> terg- we're getting Isaac matching sister.
2: tattoos yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right after this
1: <laughs> so boys
2: will be boys what does this phrase mean to you? Your first book, obviously, Fight Like a Girl took that phrase and put a positive spin on it. Mm. Boys will be boys. What is the real meaning behind that phrase?
0: Yeah, so the two, the two book titles, um, you know, I, I took commonly used phrases and tried to repurpose them into meaning something different. So whenever we say like a girl, you do something like a girl, we know that that generally means that you, you rubbish at it. Or you're weak, or you're somehow you you can't do it as well as anyone else. Anyone else, of course, being boys. Um, so I tried to repurpose that into something positive. Whereas "boys will be boys" is a um, quote-unquote positive phrase often used mm. to excuse behaviour in boys that is, um, you know, anywhere on a scale from just sort of roughhousing to actually criminal, um, and and a sign. Really negative qualities to, uh, or, or sorry, explain away really negative behaviors to some kind of innate state of masculinity that is not only impossible to be changed or challenged, but also something that we should enjoy, you know, mm. that we should admire little boys that are like, oh, boys will be boys. Always oh, pushed you over in the playground. Always oh, such a boy, isn't he? Oh, mm. boys will be boys. Or, you know, um, a girl being sexually assaulted at a party where she's been drinking and she's wearing certain clothes. Oh, well, what did she expect? You know, boys will be boys after all. All of these things are, as we all know, extremely negative. So I wanted to take that phrase and repurpose it again to show or to explore what is actually being said when we make that excuse or when we use that to um, minimise the impact of men exerting patriarchy on the women and children around them. Mm. Um, and, you know, so the book kind of goes from it it, it it sort of takes a linear fashion in that it looks in the very first chapter at um, how we code gender in children even before they're born and how we assign stereotypes uh, along with assigning sex. Um, So the way that, you know, the way that... Boy children will be spoken about or will be treated by the people around them or the clothes that they'll be put, they'll be either forced into or not allowed to wear based on what people think is acceptable for boys and how acceptable for how boys exert their personalities. Um, and then how we use that to create the groundwork later on for behavior that becomes in some circumstances much more damaging and much more concerning. And as I said before, sometimes criminal. Mm. Um, so, you know, the most the best most recent example of that, which isn't in the book because I it was published before this happened, was the appointment of Brett Kavanaugh on the Supreme mm. Court. Um that the fact that what was being described, not only was Dr. Christine Blasey Ford of course not really believed by any of the people who had power to put him on the Supreme Court, um and if they did believe her, they didn't care. Mm-hmm. And they didn't want to. Or they right. didn't want to care, but also there there were excuses being made Amidst the media commentary and the public commentary for what happened, um, you know that they were teenagers. What did she expect? This is how, this is what boys do, you know. I remember that there was one really dis- concerning article um, interviewing five Republican women.
1: Yes, I saw. Yeah, where they just went, oh, that happened to all of us. That's yeah. just what happens.
0: Oh, and one one of the Republican women essentially said, "Well, this is just what boys do." Yeah, and. That's it. You know, it's interesting, I think we even talked about this a lot the last time I was on, that people say that feminists are the ones that demonise men and we're the ones who claim that all men are rapists and that, you know, we hate men and we we never see the good in them. But there's nothing more, there's nothing that says more that all men are rapists just looking for an opportunity mm-hmm. than Phrases like boys will be boys or mm-hmm. what did she expect or why was she drinking yeah. or, you know, why did she go into a room with him or, um, well, this is just what boys do. Yeah. Like it's actually conservative ideology that frames male behaviour as being...
1: As monsters unless we yeah, stop them being monsters. Unless women mm.
0: constantly act as the gatekeepers of sexuality. Um And actually in Australia one of our most reprehensible columnists there, Miranda Devine, um, who is just... Probably actually a goblin, you know, wearing <laughs> a, wearing a, a, a suit of human skin. Um, she wrote this disgusting column after, as this was all happening, because you know she's she's a pick me girl. You know, she wants all of all of the boys to know that she's on their side, right? Um, and she wrote this column in which she said that uh, firstly she completely derided Dr. Blazy Ford for the way that she was dressed. On the what? Uh, at oh the my God. yep at the um at the hearings, that she had she made some sort of snarky comment about her professionally blow dried hair, as if somehow as if she turned up with you know sort of an unwashed untamed barnet that people wouldn't have made a big deal about that. Oh she well she's not believable. Look at how she's yeah. dressed. She can't even brush her hair. Um about her simpering childish voice. You know, it really like tore her to shreds. What the hell? And then she came, she sort of finished the second half of the column by saying, even if he did do all the things that she says that he did, so what? That was the phrase that she used, so what? It's And and essentially implied it's not that big a deal. It wasn't like he actually raped her. He didn't succeed in doing it. And that now that Dr. Blasey Ford is... Somehow ridiculously saying that she lives with anxiety and she needs to have, you know, two exits to any room and, you know, that this is just, this is absurd. And this is, this is the, essentially what I got from reading the column was that she was trying to imply that this was not an issue of um, a sexual assault that has caused lifelong trauma in a woman, but a woman who is so fragile and unable to cope with the realities of life and with the reality of male, ordinary, normal male behavior that she's mm-hmm. mentally disturbed now. And she, she, she is untrustworthy in that respect.
1: Wow. Okay, so I'm feeling nice. the rage now, and mm. I I find that I mean it's the, the see making sentences is <laughs> beyond me. The thing about your book and a lot of the things that you say is it's so clear and it's so calm and it's so neutral and it's and it just makes me furious. And I <laughs> did it make you furious to write the book? In parts, yeah, parts of it definitely. I mean,
0: some of some of the book is. Um, a bit more lighthearted and yeah. i tried to
1: mm.
0: i tried to include a lot of humor in it because i Light knew that yeah, yeah i knew that people couldn't read about all of these terrible things yeah. without having some levity um, i found it i was really gratified after the book came out that people did report that they found it funny because i think i lost sight of the humor while i was writing it i tried to put it in there but i I was so stuck in the monstrous mm. parts that I, I was worried that it was mm. just so dark the whole way through. Um, but, yeah, there were definitely times during writing it during the writing of it where, you know, I would spend weeks writing a chapter about rape um, or weeks writing a chapter about the family court and how actually, you know, there's this myth, and I'm sure it's the same here, this myth that the family court is, you know, overrun by feminist judges. Like any part <laughs> of the legal system is run by women. Um <laughs> Overrun by feminist judges that are just working to destroy the family unit and to, and to yeah. steal children away from their fathers. When actually the reality in Australia, at least, is that the family court is so heavily weighted in favor of fathers and fathers' rights that women are advised now to not, advised by their lawyers to not report suspected abuse of children because they will be painted as hostile parents and risk having their children taken away from them entirely. Um, and these were changes that were instituted by John Howard in um, during his reign of terror um, that had sort of... The Keating government had kind of paved the way for them um, back in the late 90s when they, they adjusted some of the laws around um, determining... Uh, child custody, um, where they, they basically made it so that the they ruled that the ideal situation would be for children to have contact with both parents, as opposed to just this blanket rule that children would automatically go to their mums. Um, and then the, uh, John Howard introduced the friendly parent provision, which essentially enforced that parents had to prove themselves friendly to each other in order to uh, resolve a conflict in the family court. And because mothers were often the ones who were, um, well, there are any number of reasons why women might end up in the family court fighting to mm. to maintain custody of their children, um, a very, very tiny percentage of which I, I will acknowledge is to exert some power over the father. But that is a minute percentage. In the majority of cases it's being driven by um Issues of family violence, issues of intimate partner violence, suspected child abuse, or just complete inability for the father to take care of the children by himself. Mm. Um, But because these changes were introduced, it has made it now really, really difficult for women to fight for their rights in the family court. And yet we still maintain Mm. this mythology that the family court is designed to you know, persecute dads. I mean, and as I say in the book, you know, if all of these fathers who suddenly pop up in the family court afterwards and decide that they want to have 50-50 custody and then get mad at their ex-wives for keeping their kids from them, you know, where were they beforehand wanting to do Mm. their 50-50 share?
1: Mm. No, I was just going to lighten it up by bringing in David Seymour. So, yes. Have you, on Twitter, with Act Party leaders. Oh, I did see, have I did see the Act Party's tweets the other yeah. day. That
0: he's, he, I'm assuming it's a party of one.
1: It is. <laughs> it, is. it
0: is.
2: And, you know, he spent a lot of his time as an MP working on national television <laughs> on Dancing with the Stars. So he's got a lot on. Um, they sort
0: of collated. Well, they didn't. That's an old, oh, is this that's an, an old, old one? yeah. So they
2: didn't even do the work
0: themselves. Oh, no, God. they didn't. They for God's didn't. Sake. Well. That's not unsurprising. Surprised. Not
3: surprised, <laughs> but disappointed, <in>
0: though. <laughs> so, that, yeah, there's that, um, the collage of tweets that, you know, are many years old mm-hmm. of all the times on Twitter. And there's what? There's like 12 of them. Yeah. So, the hundreds and hundreds <laughs> of times on Twitter that I've said. You made a joke. Yeah, I've made, a joke made, a, made a joke. A variation on kill all men I'm, I'm or.
3: Embarrassed whatever for them that they've not only missed the. The fact that it's a joke, mm. but use something that's really old.
0: Well, I mean, it's <laughs> so just they didn't even make themselves. It's it's a it's a collage it's a used that used meme constantly. gets posted on everything yeah. that I you know everything to do with me, any event I'm doing, someone will post that. Because mm-hmm. um, of course, you know, you can you can talk about beating women, and you know, how do you how do you tell you know what? Oh, that's how the jokes always go. Yeah. Um, <laughs> You know, um, (laughs) oh, women deserve equal rights and left. And, you know, get back in the kitchen and make me a sandwich. Or, you know, what do you call, what do you tell a woman with a black eye? Oh, nothing that she hadn't heard before or something, whatever it is. You know, Mm. those are all Mm. hilarious, Mm. really original as well jokes, you know. And you can joke about raping women. You can joke about all the things that actually happen to women every day. And that's not a big deal because it's just words. It's just, it's just funny, you know, mm-hmm. just get, get the fucking sand out of your vagina and have a laugh. Yeah. But if you joke about something that is demonstrably not a problem in the world, i.e. feminists rallying to murder all <laughs> of the world's men, <laughs> this is deeply, deeply serious yeah. and a sign of your ultimate plans. Well, don't
2: worry, David Seymour's on. it. Huh? <laughs> he's going he's gonna to sort it out. So I understand there has been, I mean, as you mentioned, everywhere you go there's a, a kerfuffle. Yeah, In the in the MRA sort of realm. I'm assuming it's MRAs or is it just kind of eggs, egg editor oh, people
1: you know, on Twitter? It's, it's,
0: it's hard to tell with men's rights activists whether or not they're just – I mean because MRAs, some of them are committed, some of them do sort of work very hard at their cause. Right. And then others are just dickheads I think, you know. <laughs> and it's it's difficult to tell with MRAs because men generally speaking – Men who are a part of the MRA movement, generally speaking, are quite disorganised. <laughs> we, we had a men's march in Australia recently, um, you know, a march, for, a march for men's rights because men were being so grotesquely demonised oh. in the media apparently in the weeks after. That's so yeah, sad. Yeah, in the weeks mm. after the rape and murder of Eurydice Dixon who was a young female comic who was raped and murdered while she was walking home from work one night, um, men had to put up with weeks weeks and weeks of commentary in the media about how mm, maybe the problem of men's violence should be solved by men. And so this men's right the march for men's rights was organized because it was just so horrible all the you know indignity that men had to um suffer through. And it was organized by a woman.
1: <gasps>
0: ah! Yep. Was she somebody's mum? No, she is a young woman in Sydney who is uh couching herself as a conservative commentator. Uh, She makes uh, YouTube videos. So she's really, look, she's really jumping on the back of, you know, wanting to be someone like Lauren Southern Mm -hmm. who, you know, tried to come to New Zealand or um, Tommy Lauren uh, or Mm -hmm. Anne Coulter, you know, this sort of like small contingent of conventionally very attractive women who uh, appeal to, very kind of like misogynist, sexist men by saying we're on your side. We yeah. love you. Yeah. We're not like those mm. horrible, ugly, hairy yeah. feminists. I have a big gun.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and then
0: the men go, "See, I told yeah. you. <laughs> How could I hate women? I'd love to have sex with that woman." <laughs> um, so she organised it, and they're all like, "You know, oh, all, we need more women like Sydney Watson." Um, and uh, yeah, so you know, I think I think about a hundred men turned up. Mm. Um. <laughs> they attempted
3: they one that um, march on Parliament that got no media coverage whatsoever. Oh, was that
2: like, that three, that three King, King of Kings? No, oh, yeah, Return of Kings. Return
3: of King. <laughs> <God>. <laughs> I think they got three or four people show up, and oh, like, dear, the police had sort of been alerted that there was going to, be and they were like, oh, don't worry about <laughs> it. <this. laughs> There's no one there. Well, Everyone, go home.
0: Yeah, I think that the event that I'm doing tonight has um had some you know yeah. threats of protest, and peaceful so protest. Yeah, well they've organized they've organized a couple of security guards and some police and they they informed me that don't worry, we're taking care of you, we're gonna have some security guards and I was like, honestly, don't need to bother. (laughs) (laughs) There's no one no one's gonna be there. And if there is, it'll be one guy with a sandwich board. They're
2: very poorly organized.
3: (laughs) On a
0: side
2: note, why do their websites always look so bad? (laughs) (laughs) Who's designing this? (laughs) This is men's issues with a with a Z.
0: Oh. Always with a Z as well. It's interesting, actually, because um, there's a an American sociologist called Michael Kimmel and he wrote a book called Angry White Men, um, which is sort of similar themes as Boys Will Be Boys, but, you know, written from the perspective of obviously someone who has a lived experience of, of being a man. And he also went into communities of angry white men um, and tried to sort of like get to the bottom of what their issues were, um, In a not in a... Oh, let's understand them kind of way, but you know exposing he's really invested in exposing toxic masculinity, and he profiles this um father's rights activist in you know in this book who is v- heavily involved in you know groups like a voice for men i don't know if it's that specific group that he's involved in, but heavily involved in online men's groups where they talk about the indignities that they suffer at the hands of the family court et cetera. And there's just this moment of terribly sad irony where Michael Kimmel speaks to this guy's son and says, you know, so cuz occasionally he gets to spend time with his son. And he says, "Oh, you know, so do you do you get to spend a lot of time with your dad? Do you enjoy, you know, what what kinds of things do you do?" And He says, "Oh, you know, not really because he's so busy with his online groups." Oh, so this Oh my god. Oh, I mean, Sorry so and this and this his
1: father's right so he hasn't got time to be a father.
0: But this is what I think it actually comes down to is that like the whole like my kid has been taken away from me and I need to have my kid back so I can spend more time with my kid is obviously a truism for some men. Mm. But for a lot of the men who are very like hyper involved in these sort of like online communities mm. and in this, this sense of activism, this is what they care about. Yeah. It's not, it's mm. not actually about their children at all. Yeah. It's about being part of a persecuted group of men who they can kind of like flex their muscles in front mm. of and speak freely about. You know how much they hate women in a way that they they sense that they can justify. I mean, Paul Elam, who started a voice for men in America, which is kind of considered the the, you know, he's sort of considered the grandfather of men's rights activism. Um, one of his major issues is men's is fathers' rights, and how you know he's talked about how judges who sit in the family courts should be. Um, Immolated basically and, uh, you know, the, the terrible damage that they do to dads and, you know, how, how much men suffer at the hands of this legal system. And then last year, BuzzFeed, two reporters at, at BuzzFeed, um, released this amazing expose on him, which basically revealed that not only was he a total deadbeat dad to his two children, but that he opted to walk away when they were kids. He left the mum and then came to a settlement in, um, a custody settlement where he said that, you know, he'd be, happily have nothing to do with them and he, I think he gave them like $2,000 in child support for the rest of their lives. That was it. <laughs> oh my God. And then when his daughter reached out to him when she was an adult with children of her own and tried to sort of reestablish a relationship with him, um, that, you know, they did that briefly and then she cut off co- contact with him because she saw him smacking her son one day. So this is, it's all, it's all a lie. You know um, it's yeah. all it's all a facade so that they can it comes down to that sense of like men part of masculinity or part of toxic masculinity and its role in patriarchy is providing hierarchies for men to sit. On. Mm. And so, mm. it's about right. their scrabble to the top of the hierarchy. Right. So, some men's rights activists are deeply incensed that uh, they don't sit at the top of the hierarchy anyway, but that also what's keeping them back, that th- what they perceive as keeping them back from elevating up the hierarchy now is not patriarchy, it's women. not. It's women. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. it's women and women's rights.
3: I mean, that's exactly true of the whole incel movement yeah. as well, right? It's the hierarchy of women are having sex with men that aren't us. Yeah. We mm. deserve for women, but conventionally attractive women, Yeah, not the women who sort of – None social, of the fuggos. Yeah, that are socially aligned with what we are like. We want the attractive women, and if we can't have them, then yeah. they should be murdered.
0: Yeah, and uh, and punished. If not murdered, then punished. Yeah. Because I need to put my um, – and it's all – you know, I'm going to use some real cis-centric language, but I need to put my dick in her – to prove my manhood to other men mm. you know and yeah these particularly in the incel community women have ceased to be if they ever were mm. humans that mm. mm. um, they're just they're just benchmarks to to how their own masculinity is defined and how dare these women have the right to yeah. Deny their masculinity. Do they be so fucking discerning? Yeah. I think how you put it in the book. <laughs> 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 How dare they decide who they want to have sex with? But, you know, it's also interesting as well. It's like it speaks – I mean, incels is like the the worst kind of extension of this mentality. Mm-hmm. But it also speaks to how differently – Male, again, cis, cis sex is language, but male and female sexuality is kind of framed in the world that we live in. That sexuality and sex for men is still spoken of and considered to be something essential to their identities. Mm. You know, that mm. men need to have it not only because if they don't have it, they physically hurt, mm. but that also if they don't have it, they're emasculated.
1: <laughs> Can I ask you a question about men? Because I don't get them. So, um, in the 70s, women started working on consciousness raising because they understood that the patriarchy wasn't making wasn't giving them a fair deal right so women have been organizing groups and uh, reading and uh, talking to each other and learning to understand the system that oppresses us men are sort of aware that the patriarch is not working for them because they die early and they self-medicate and they have heart attacks and they don't get time with their children and they have mm. appalling family lives and all that. But they don't fucking get together unless it's in a toxic way, in an MRA kind of a way, where they're just, as you've said, repeating the patriarchal structure within that, that forum. But men haven't still got together to do some consciousness raising about... How the patriarchy isn't working for them. What why? Um
0: I think, you know, there are small groups of men who are doing that work. Um And I, I find that really encouraging as well. And I think that um, you know, if in Australia we have something called men's sheds. Do you have that here? Yeah. Yes, we were, were talking about we were just those. Talking about the other
3: day because I took a photo of one my parents live in quite a small mm. rural town, mm. and I was out with my dad, and I was
2: like, what the fuck is
3: that? <laughs> and then his explanation of it was actually really nice. Yeah. Like, I was really into it, and I, I was not prepared for yeah. mm. a description of, of, of a group for men. The men's shed where my parents are from was actually run by a woman, <laughs>
2: who's, who's <laughs> a head, the head
3: carpenter in, within that, yeah. that group. Yeah, oh, that's so cool. Um it turns out the men, working men's club in the same town is also the chairperson as a <laughs> woman.
2: Yeah, I wonder if it's something that's more prolific in, like, the regions or something where it's, like, harder, I don't know, like, less connection in, like, rural I'm assuming you're talking yeah. about the place I'm talking about.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah, in the, wider in upper, the wide up, In the heart of the wider The But yeah, upper. the idea that there was a, a place for men to create and contribute mm. positively mm. because they might be isolated from mm. friends and family. So or... is that
1: part of that idea that men don't really like to sit face-to-face and talk to each other, but they like to stand shoulder-to-shoulder and do something yeah. while talking to each other?
3: Yeah, I think maybe that's the idea. Yeah.
1: I think it yeah. also breaks down... I mean, my understanding of men's sheds in
0: Australia is that, you know, yes, stuff happens in the shed, but it's it's very explicit that the purpose of it is for men to cu- get together and talk about their feelings. And a lot of these men may be of a particular generation where they certainly haven't been encouraged to discuss their emotions and to speak about their feelings in that way. But they also may have been, you know, they may have gone through divorce or they may be widowed, um... And one of the things that patriarchy does to, you know, particularly sort of mainstream heterosexual couples, uh, is that, and particularly men of over a certain generation, is makes the women the sort of vestibule for men's feelings, mm. you know, so mm. we all have, lots of networks of women that we can speak to and and offload to and kind of nut out things and and explore our emotional landscapes with. But generally speaking, patriarchy has uh, encouraged men out of that. Mm. Um, Mm. And, again, like men over a certain generation don't talk to each other about what's going on in their lives. I mean, one of the... um, most horrifying statistics I've ever heard. And again, I have to double check this because I, I read it a while ago and I need to check the source on it, but it, I know it's sort of roughly correct is that for men, older men, particularly whose wives pass away, the average time for them to get remarried is nine months. Um, wow. which is, and it's not because they don't love their,
1: Mm. deceased
0: partners it's not because they're not still grieving for them it's because they don't want to be alone, be alone. Mm. and they so it, it's partly i think that they don't want to be alone because in some cases it would be that they don't know how to take care of themselves because their wife has always done everything for them but it would also be because they don't have anyone to talk to mm. yeah mm. you know and and i posit f- those yeah hopes and dreams and feelings yeah which is incredibly mm. sad and yet at the same time women for too long have been the sole recipient of Mm. men's emotions Mm. Um, and I, I don't know if any of you ever feel like this but I just can't do it you know yeah I just feel like sometimes you know Sometimes even with my partner, I'm just like, oh, can you just go out and, like, find some men to talk to <laughs> about I <laughs> you know, stand in <laughs> a bar or play a game of golf and chat? I, I, I'm not equipped to receive these
2: feelings, you know?
0: Yeah. Mm. Um, it reminds
2: me of, like, in the BFG when <laughs> the dreams get sucked into those jars. <laughs> yeah. It's like you feel like you're just constantly absorbing <laughs> yeah. the, the good and the bad. I just wanted to give a shout out. I had to Google just to check his name, but. That cool barber guy who's driving yeah. around New Zealand in his van oh, with a pure um, pure motive of just speaking to men about mental health and giving them a free haircut, kind of like a sharing economy yeah. kind of a thing. His name is Sam Mc- Sam Dowdle, sorry. And he yeah, that's cool. And yeah. he is so awesome. And I've seen a lot of – he's had a lot of um, media and stuff, and it seems like wherever he goes – Men are just dying to have a conversation yeah. with this wonderful man.
1: And there is that saying, isn't there? That you know, once somebody's touching your head, you mm-hmm. are open to the secrets uh, coming out. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, one of the things about um,
0: I remember going uh, like years ago, going to a um, a conference through the uh, Australian YWCA, and there were representatives. It was a world conference, and there were representatives th- f- from all countries all over the world. And there was some um, some women from. Oh, I think it might have been Uganda. They're repping the Y there. And they were talking about one of their programs was to take um condoms into hair salons and to talk about sexual health in hair salons in this sort of private space where it was only women there. Mm. Mm. Um because this is where women went to talk about yeah. shit mm-hmm. basically. Right. And in Australia I think that there there's been some um uh programs beginning lately or some funding for programs that will train hairdressers to talk about domestic violence with their clients because yeah because it's like because this is actually like a a perfect place for people to come and have these kinds of discussions Mm. and reveal slowly what's going on in their lives you know Mm. um but see the thing is like i think that's great about you know go around and talk to men about their mental health. That's wonderful. Like Men need to be encouraged to speak more openly with other men about mental health issues. But the problem is that it can't just be done as a thing of like, well, let's get men talking about mental health and how we can feel better about ourselves. It has to be done in conjunction with, A, recognising that the impact on men's mental health comes from patriarchy. Mm -hmm. The The education about not discussing it comes from patriarchy, but also it has to go in tandem with talking about gender equality because it's not that those two things are part of the same issue, you know, for men to really kind of like for men to shuck off the lessons that they've learned about themselves through patriarchy and it's, it's sort of um, construction of masculinity. They also have to recognize how those things impact women and Mm -hmm. There's no mental clarity for them or mental happiness if they also require the women in their lives to, to maintain the same roles that they always have mm. done. Yeah.
2: Well, yeah. We need to burn it all down. Yeah. Oh, we need
0: to burn yeah. it all down.
2: <laughs> <laughs> we often talk on this podcast about being caught in those situations where you hear something sexist or you see something sexist so you get kind of caught in an argument and you lose mm. all your – Stats and facts and cool little sayings. Do you have, like, particular things that are just your go-to when you get stuck in those situations, especially the what abouters or the yeah. I've never experienced sexism, therefore it doesn't exist
0: kind of um, people? Oh, if someone said I've never experienced sexism, therefore it doesn't exist, uh, I'd probably just say something like, oh, congratulations, but just because it doesn't exist for you doesn't mean it's doesn't exist for anyone mm. else, you know. I've never seen a Tasmanian <laughs> devil, but I'm pretty <laughs> sure they're real. Um, uh, prove it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I heard a really good one the other night because um, normally my go-to would be like, "Oh, I'm sorry if you, like if someone says se- something sexist or, or racist or homophobic or transphobic, whatever it might be around you, you can say, I'm sorry I didn't hear that. Can you say that again, please? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then you get them to repeat it a second time so that they are aware that it's actually really shameful what they've just said Um, or you can say like if they've tried to make a terrible you know oppressive joke you can say oh I don't get it can you explain it (laughs) to me Why is it funny? Is it because women are dumb? (laughs) (laughs) But then I heard this great one the other night, which is that you just go, "Oh, oh, I'm sorry, I've just got something a bit sexist stuck in my ear." Can you just (laughs) say that again? And that works for everything too. Something a bit racist stuck (laughs) in my ear. Um, I thought that was brilliant when I heard that, so I can't claim lay claim to that. That was Neve in Wellington who told me that. That's great. Shout out to Neve. I have a variation
3: on that. This is a question that's just come through in real time from Kat. what is your best explanation of feminism when other women can't stomach the word because what because of what they've been told feminism is? So the pit me girls.
0: Yeah, right. Um, well, firstly, I would say that, that um, don't be disheartened if you can't convince them of it. It doesn't make you wrong. Because um, sometimes people, for whatever reason, it might be that they're just willfully ignorant. It might be that they're just too scared to expand their mind, particularly when it comes to, to pick me girls, mm. they just will not listen to what you have to say. And so you can end up feeling really frustrated and disheartened. And those are emotions that suck energy out of you. Mm. So if you feel, if you suspect that you won't change their mind, you don't have to stand there and try and convince them. You know, that's, you don't lose any feminist points or cred by not being able to yeah. get one person over to the cause every day. Um, but I guess I would, I would, you know, some people just sort of go back to the, ba- their basic definition, which is that, oh, it's just about equality between the sexes, which is not really true for me. Um, I think it's about a lot more than that. I think that it's about the economic, reproductive and political liberation of all people from patriarchy um, and particularly women. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's tricky because it does does end up being really frustrating. But something I like to say is that, you know, feminism is – Feminism is a movement that means I, I don't have to hate myself, you know, that it's mm, about it's about valuing myself in a world that tells me that my body is not good enough, that my, uh, you know, I, I won't be paid more than men in the same field. Um, that my only role is as a mother and once I become a mother I'm, you know, an idiot um, or that if I don't become a mother that I'm selfish, you yeah. um, it's about recognizing that I have the rights, the right to stand there as an equal and autonomy, autonomous human being with dignity.
1: Mm. That's beautiful. Oh, that's nice. really good. Nice. While well, we talk,
3: that's something everyone can understand as well. You know, you don't mm. have to have read widely on anything to just mm. understand the world makes you want to hate yourself. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Mm. yeah. And As we're seeing in New Zealand at the moment, and I'm sure this is kicking off in Australia as it is all around the world. There are feminists who aren't including all women yeah. in mm. that, which is one of our next questions from a listener who said, I don't really know how to phrase this, but in my head it's just TERFs. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> which I've interpreted, why are so many cis women so fearful of making room for trans and non-binary mm.
0: people? Well, because I, I guess, you know, cis women can be assholes just as much as anyone else, you know, and they can defend their territory or what they perceive to be their territory Mm. with exactly Mm. the same ferocity that cis men defend what they perceive to be their territory. Um, I don't know why they're so afraid of expanding their mind, except that um, they're ignorant and they're fearful. And uh, I appreciate that there's a a lot of pushback against that now. Um, I don't know. It just, to me, it's, it just doesn't. It just doesn't feel. It just feels like a, a huge waste of energy yeah. and hatred. Mm-hmm. You know. See,
3: I'm surprised that it has gotten traction again because the first time I ever heard the term, it was associated with Jermaine and I was like, well, you know, that's an older generation. Mm-hmm. I I never expected it to be a movement that young people subscribe to. Not that I've ever really seen that many young people sort of talking about it. It's mostly been men and middle-aged cis women. Mm. But I'm, I'm just amazed. I'm amazed that it it is, well, especially in, in Auckland, yeah. in, in New Zealand, it's yeah. just in the last few months, it's really become super visible. And it's a, mm. a, a movement I expected to not ever hear about again. <laughs> well, and the thing that gets me as well is, I. this is probably like rose tinted glasses, but I've always thought one of the... Uh, physiological differences between a lot of cis men and women, or men and women, is is our inherent empathy. Mm. I find a lot of women are more empathetic to what the experience of others might be like, even if they themselves haven't experienced mm. it. As opposed to a lot of men just being like, "I don't know what you're talking about," therefore it doesn't exist. Mm. So it's surprising to me then that there is a movement of women who cannot understand the, the trauma that so many mm. trans men and women mm. go through in their lives and then want to re-traumatize them
1: yeah.
3: by telling them that, you know, they should define themselves in X, Y, Z ways. Mm. It's
0: amazing to me that women could but act I, that way. I don't know. Cause I think that, I think that that, um, that thing about empathy is maybe a bit of an illusion. Mm. And I think that that comes from the conditioning that women have to, Be empathetic, but really empathetic in a mainstream kind of way. So women will – their empathy might come from noticing that a colleague is a bit down today and they'll be like, oh, what's going on? You know, let's sit down and talk about it. That's an act of empathy, sure. But we also know that it's true that – like, significant numbers of white women are not empathetic at yes. all to the experiences of, you know, people of color. Um, and not only not empathetic, but actively hostile mm. to the activism of people of color and the expression of dignity and, and autonomy and humanity. Um, so I think that it just, I don't know. Like, I, yeah, I think that that's probably is a little bit of a, an illusion that's mm. based on the conditioning that we have, but it hasn't actually extended itself to empathy for, all humans. Yes,
2: yeah, sure. Yeah. Next question for you, Clementine. Best use of energy. How do you pick which trolls to tackle and or engage with, uh, particularly for the sake of others reading who we don't want to be encouraged by them, and which ones do you
0: leave? Um, well, I wish I would, could say that there's, you know, a rhyme or reason to it, but honestly <laughs> sometimes it's just if I've got five minutes. <laughs> um most, most of them I just ignore and, you know, just ignore them. They'll go away. Um, mm. they don't, by the way. <laughs> Spoiler. Um, no, they're just, they're always more there on the horizon. They're like, you know, flies. Mm. Um, so mostly I just block and ban or just, just ignore or whatever, you know, cause it is just a huge waste of energy. But every so often, if I've got five minutes, I'll, reply or I'll try and say something funny in response or try and shame them in front of people. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I might, where where I might make a conscious choice about it is if someone says something that is so pointedly revolting or mm. aggressive or abusive that I then might screenshot it and, and make an example of that. Um You know, someone, I saw a comment today on my Facebook page of some guy saying that it was on, it was on a post about Um, actually it was on a post that I'd shared a few months ago. Uh, it was an excerpt from the book, which was the, an excerpt from the final chapter, which is a letter to my son. Um, and this person, this guy had commented that I, um, that he was sorry, felt sorry for my son because, you know, I was going to raise him to teach him to be, to hate himself and probably force him to suicide. And so it would have been better if he'd never been born. Oh and I was just God. like, uh, I probably won't share that one because I think that that's just, I, I generally don't like to share stuff about my son. Yeah. Um, but I just thought, you know, this is a guy who if I made a comment so flippant about male suicide mm. would yeah. drag me to hell and back for yeah, it. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, or if I treated male suicide as some kind of like political football,
3: yeah.
0: then I would be horribly called out, you know, and deservedly so. Yeah. Um. And yet they have no problem. And this is like one of many comments that men have made to me about how my, I I, I will be, another one was that I will be the reason my son kills himself one day. Um, like how can they claim on the one hand to care so much about male suicide and yet at the same time almost be wishing for it to happen, yeah. to just teach to me a lesson. A yeah, to prove a point. Awesome. Like why would awful. they wish not be... You know, I really hope that your son grows up to be healthy and happy. Yeah. Mm. Um. Even if they said, like, in spite of you. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. I really hope he he ends up being healthy
1: and happy, as opposed to, oh, uh, well, he's going to kill himself one day, and it'll be all your fault. Yeah. Mm. Um, but is that part of that idea that some people have that the reason men are uh, experience a you know a high rate of suicide is because women are so horrible to them?
0: Yeah, I think and so. I think so. It's because they don't they don't want to recognize that actually it's the, the pay- pay drivers I, I, of that come from yeah. the expectations placed on masculinity and the expectations that men hold of each other mm. Mm. to like perform masculinity and how they police it in each other as well, mm. you know. It's not women doing this mm. to them. It's women trying to liberate them mm. from it. And the fact that they can't see that is – I think that, you know, a lot of them would actually – they're quite happy to be stuck in this situation. What they will not tolerate is being stuck in this situation and no longer having the fringe benefits of being able to politically, mm. economically and reproductively have power over women because that was that was the trade-off. Mm. Mm. You can – you'd have to deal with all of this but you can have all of this too. This is the, the cherry on the top of the shit Sunday. Um, you know, and it's interesting Delicious. about the suicide thing as well, because if, you know, we were talking about rape, rapist jokes is a better word for it, because if the rapist is the one most likely to laugh in the room, then it's a joke for, for them. Um, but the overwhelmingly male comedy world bends over backwards to defend its right to tell jokes about rape and domestic violence and, you know, violence against women, things that they're... Statistically, far less likely to experience as men. And that's fine because that's just words. That's just making light of dark topics. You should, you have to be allowed to laugh about dark humor, blah, 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 blah. But if I stood up and started making jokes about male suicide, or if, if there were, you know, a, a contingent of female comics who just mm. mm-hmm. fixated on joking about men killing themselves, yeah. their response would be really, really different. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That is
1: absolutely true. Yep. Shocking.
2: Another question: How can I talk to my eighteen and fourteen-year-old, extremely privileged nieces about their place in the world and what they should do to be good citizens? Um, it's tricky, one day. Eh? Like trying to make someone aware of their privilege for the very first time can be quite, <laughs> can be quite a challenge.
0: Yeah, and you know, I don't have a lot t- uh, to do with that age demographic necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, not fe- personally, face to face. I think that with that particular age group, sometimes it does help to be a bit sort of gentle in your questioning, which is ugh, um, it's not something I'd recommend always. You know, I don't think that we need to go gently when we're trying to convince people of their privilege. But I suppose you could. Um, wish I'd had these questions beforehand. <laughs> um, I think asking them to think about what differentiates their life from other people's is perhaps a good starter. But you want to make sure you don't do it in this sort of poverty porn kind mm-hmm. of way, right. you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, what do the what are the things that they what are the privilege and, privileges and advantages that they suspect they might have based on? The circumstances of their birth. Mm-hmm. So talk to them about what it means. I'm I'm assuming that they're white because of the question. Talk to them about what it means to be white in a country that still um, experiences, you know, that's a country that is historically rooted in colonization and that also still exerts racism and white supremacy over, you know, a, a good proportion of its um, citizens. Mm-hmm talk to them about what it means to be wealthy in a world where wealth is you know a differentiate a, a wealth is the decider between who gets access to certain spaces and who doesn't you know talk to them about what it means to be mentally unwell but to have access to you know um private health insurance to have access through things like your wealth and your skin color to treatment that won't marginalise you even further. Um, it, I guess it, you know, ultimately depends on how open they are to having those conversations. They may not be, which will create frustration and um, disappointment. Mm. But I think, you know, that as someone, you know, the fact that they're even asking that question shows that they're invested in the outcome yeah. of it, so it means that they can keep keep chipping away at it.
2: Yeah, yeah. and like you say, you can't solve everything in one day for everyone on earth right Sometimes no things take time
0: but i think i do think that the reality is that once people succeed in having their, their outlook changed mm. then they it's very difficult for them to go back to their original way of thinking, mm. Mm. you know. Um, it's funny because in Australia I often use the example of um, banning smoking in restaurants and pubs to, to create social change. You know, when people are like, oh, well, this is just the way things are, you know, it's gen- gender equality, blah, 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 this is just the way men and women are. Um, you say, okay, well, you think that we can't change society, but, you know, in 1996 in South Australia they banned smoking in restaurants and when that happened people were like, yeah,
1: take taking Out of restaurants, people (laughs) will never tolerate that. (laughs) They
0: love to have a cigarette in between their meal. Um, And then they took it out, and of course, people adapted really quickly Mm -hmm. because it's gross to smoke inside. Mm. Um, And then 10 years after that, they. In Victoria and in South Australia, and in fact, all over Australia now, they banned smoking inside pubs. And, cause you could still smoke in pubs up to that point. And people were like, well, they will definitely never tolerate that. People <laughs> love to go out and have a beer and a cigarette at the same time. No one's going to go to the pub anymore. And you know, Australia's still got a huge problem with alcohol abuse. <laughs> yeah. Um, and if you, if you lit up a cigarette in a pub now, people would be horrified. Yeah. Mm. Now in Victoria last year, they changed the outside smoking laws so you can now no longer smoke within a certain radius of where people are eating yeah um which initially you know, again, the same sort of outrage, but people now you've taken it outside of the pubs and and we were allowed to smoke outside, but now we can't even do that. How dare you oppress us in this fashion? And I, um, I I do smoke now. I started again when I was writing this book. So that's what that did to me. (laughs) Um, but I'm fine with those smoking laws. Right. And I was in a pub in Wellington the other night in the, in the beer garden having dinner. And I walked past a, a table of people who were all smoking cigarettes because obviously you're still allowed to smoke in alfresco dining areas mm. here and i wasn't like disgusted i was just shocked yeah. i just mm-hmm. thought like oh why are they smoking yeah. out here so that's how long it takes to actually yeah. create cultural change yeah. provided yeah. you have the political will to do it mm. you just make it unacceptable and people really quickly will be like not only will they adapt but they'll also go oh why 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 are they doing that? Why why did that person say that really weird racist thing? Like, that's not acceptable. We
1: can evolve.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And we're such – humans are so malleable and most of us are followers. Most of us want to be told what to do and we want to be given some kind of model of how to morally live correctly according to the crowd. Mm. It's just about what decisions are being made by – the people with power around us yeah. as to what that morality will be,
3: but that unfortunately means that people are more likely as well to follow the Jordan Petersons of the world. Or whatever. because yes, they are they are looking for a moral path. Yeah, true. And not, regardless not of how everyone, bonkers it is, exactly. Not everyone <laughs> that's offering the the guiding light should be should the, be.
0: The best thing I ever heard about Jordan Peterson was that he's the stupid person, smart person. Oh my god, he yes. is. Yeah. <laughs> He really is. Our workmate
3: is currently doing a Live Like Jordan Peterson week for a story that she's writing. She's eating the all-beef diet and only reading Jordan Peterson's 12 Steps to Whatever. And I just find it so hard to believe that anyone thinks this guy is smart. Mm,
2: I know. He's a dum-dum. It's too much beef. It's just too much beef. <laughs> it's too
3: much beef, every sense, and real every and sense. metaphorical. But.
0: Yeah, <laughs> he is. He is smart in one sense, and that is that if you create a completely ludicrous ideology that appeals to the most privileged group in the world, but mm-hmm. the one that considers themselves yeah. the currently the most depressed. Yeah, yeah. You can make a fuck ton of money. Mm.
2: Yeah,
0: true. Good on,
2: good on you. Good on you, Shout out. Have you got any more questions from the page, Leonie? Um, well, this I guess it would be a good way to
3: finish on a, a positive note because a couple have come through. Uh, Izzy and uh, a couple of other people would like to know how you and how they can stay positive in uh,
0: the face of all of the terrible things that are happening mm. in the world. Mm. Well, I feel really positive in this room right now. And I think that that is. I'm not being funny. I think that that's because, it, if I, it feels positive to me when I spend time with other like-minded people who understand what it is that, you know, we all have a shared understanding of what it feels like to be a woman living under a patriarchy, yeah. and some of us have different experiences of um, other oppressions, you know, and but but on this one thing we can we can get together and we can have. A natter about it, and Mm -hmm. we make some jokes, and I feel like I'm going to walk away feeling really positive and taken care of. You know, yeah. Um, I hope you guys feel the same way. Yes, Um, please please, thank you. So I feel like (laughs) that's a really good act of self care, and it's something that I say to young women, especially, is that, you know, particularly the frustration that comes from being gaslit by the men that you know, and even just, even just gaslit in the sense of like, you know if you're if you're at school still and you have to go to school and deal with dickhead little mm-hmm. anti-feminist Shitheads who are like, oh, there's no such thing as a wage gap, or you know, like feminism is stupid. Have you read Jordan B. Peterson? <laughs> um, whatever it might be, it's bad enough from a grown man, but from a seventeen-year-old. <laughs> oh god, intolerable. it's intolerable, isn't it? When you have to deal with that and deal with them day in and day out, and you are not yet at the point where you understand you're allowed to walk away, and it doesn't mean mm. you've lost anything. It actually means you're preserving your sanity Um, because you're not going to convince them and they don't want to have a conversation with you in good faith, that one of the most important things you can do is spend time with other women Mm -hmm. and talk to them, talk in a space where you don't have to qualify your experience or prove your experience to anyone or check the words that you're using because you don't want to offend the men in the room or whatever it might be. Mm. But that's a really important thing to do. And it's funny that like, um, you know, one of the, sort of like fragilities of the men's rights and anti-feminist movements is this, is this fear that they have of women's spaces like women, women, having a women's only swimming hour. Like, oh, my God, God forbid women get to go to the local swimming pool and just swim mm. with other women. Like, yeah. oh, what about the men's hour? Like, <laughs> fine, start it. Have a men's yeah, hour. Yeah. That's cool, dudes. Yeah. Um, It's funny that, like, our attempts to kind of share space with each other in, in a way that is exclusive of cis men is – met with all of this hostility, and yet people say, oh, well, you know, men's sheds are a really good idea because mm. men can get together and they can talk in a safe space True. about their feelings, and they're like, it's so important for men to be able to do
1: that. Um, <laughs> and when we're not in our own spaces, we're being policed for what we yeah. wear, how we behave, what yeah. we drink. And we're policing
0: ourselves yeah. as well because it is so difficult to break out of the conditioning that you have had being socialised as a woman in the world Um to... To speak freely amongst men, to speak in a way that that isn't preserving their feelings all the time, that isn't sort of like, it's like we've probably all had that, I don't do this anymore, but I had to train myself out of it. We've probably all had that experience of sitting down with a, a table full of women in a pub or something like that and having a man approach and say as he's sitting down oh mind if I join you ladies (laughs) and what happens is that mostly women will go oh no that's fine and then they'll all turn their knees and their faces towards the man and in as an act of inclusion, you know, the, well, the man is here. The man is here. He's arrived to legitimize our conversation and we can't continue talking about what it is that we're talking about because we might bore him. Yeah. Or he might think that we're – Shallow might think or stuffy. You know, yeah, or he might not think that we're pretty or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, and yet I don't think that men necessarily do that. In fact, I, I definitely don't think that – they've generally been conditioned to do that when women just unexpectedly pop up into their conversations, yeah. which we yeah. have certainly not been conditioned <laughs> yeah. to do as a rule. Yeah. Um, so that's that's something as well that I think is like an act of self-care. It's like checking all of the times that you're policing yourself in front of men and reminding yourself not to do it. Yeah. So when that man comes up to you in the pub and is like, oh, mind, mind if I sit down? You're like, yeah, sorry, we're having a private conversation. And then just enjoy oh, the it. look of confusion on his face as <laughs> <laughs> he realizes that like, oh, so I have to I have to get up and walk away now. <laughs> yeah.
2: I love that. I also love um which is something I have to do a lot is like taking up more space yeah. in public. Even if it's just walking down the street, not constantly like I'm a big data. Like, I, everyone, I dash away from everybody to make room. Yeah. No trouble. No yeah. trouble, no, no trouble. Anyway. I don't exist. I yep. don't exist. I'm not, really not here. Or on the <laughs> bus. Like, I try and sit, like, super gnarly now. I'm like, touch my leg. If you're yeah. you to touch it. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But again, that's something I have had to, like, drill yeah. in. And I find it actually quite uncomfortable to do. But it's yeah. always just, like, pushing through
0: it. I mean, it's interesting because I'm quite a tall, big person, you know, and – when I'm on a plane, if I'm sitting next to, I'm I'm actually the same size as a lot of men, but when I'm on a plane, like men's arms will just take the arm yeah. rests mm. up. Although oh. their legs, of course, they'll do the man spreading thing because they they need to make space for their huge balls. Massive. Massive. Um, and so I try and do that now, I try and take up space because my instinct is to kind of like shrink myself into the seat yeah. because yeah. God forbid I be a woman who's the same size as a man because that's gross. <laughs> um, and yet I, th- I just think it's funny that kind of like assumption that like, oh, well, I'm a dude so I need to like mm. take up more space. Yeah. It's like, well, I'm a- as tall as you, yeah. you know. My hips mm. are certainly wider than yours. Mm. Um, so, yeah, like I love that too, you know, like reminding ourselves that we don't have to apologise for existing in the world mm. as actually physically physical entities
2: yeah Yeah. (laughs) there's one more question which i thought was a fantastic question that i think we'll end on my question for you is what are you not getting asked at book launches panels and morning tv that surprises you or that you are just burning to talk about that no one's ever bothered to ask you
0: oh that is a good question (laughs) um i don't know if there's any one particular thing but i've been interested in you know, some of the chapters that I wrote in this book that I thought would cause like a lot of discussion have kind of been like, we haven't really talked about the comedy thing, you know, and we have Mm -hmm. here today, Mm -hmm. but in panels, there's not a lot of discussion about the rape joke, joke chapter. When when I still see that as being a pretty important issue in the world, the, the casual humor that Mm -hmm. men feel entitled to make about women's trauma. Um, uh, Yeah. I don't know. I, It's hard to, again, it's hard to sort of pick. I'd have to have a think about that, I think. What do I want to talk about that's not being talked about? I guess one of the things that is sometimes asked um, that I would like to have more wide-reaching conversations about generally in society is not what women can do to help men In in their lives get it because this is is always a question that like, what can I do to help my husband? What can I do to talk to my boyfriend about this? Blah, 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 blah. Like we should really be asking the question of why so many women who sleep with men partner with men who fundamentally like don't agree that they are human beings. Yeah. (laughs) Um, (laughs) <laughs> but I want to talk more about what can men, what is the emotional labour that men can yeah, do yeah. and take mm-hmm. on with each other to actually become a part of this change? I mean, to an extent that's still an initial part of that will still be women doing that emotional labour because we'll invariably be the ones who are driving that conversation. Mm-hmm. But at some point, I would like to stop talking about what it is that we as women can do to help men oh. in our lives get mm-hmm. it. Because we always hear, um, you know, 99% of men are good blokes and they would never do this, that or the other. But actually, I don't think that that's true. I think that most men are just really passive. Mm. They're really, like, happy to just sit back and claim that they're great, decent guys because they haven't raped anyone. That they know of. Um, when actually, like, it requires a lot more proactive behavior to mm. be a part of positive social change and to constantly check the privilege that you have and how you may be reinforcing um, oppressive structures because you are a beneficiary of that privilege and yep. you're not like mm. engaging with it. Um, and then to expect that women continue doing that work for you while you take the accolades of like, well, I'm a great, decent guy. And you're not actually being a part of creating any of the solutions. I think it's just mm. bullshit. Mm.
2: Jeez. I can tell you where they can start. <laughs> they can buy a copy of Boys Will Be Boys <laughs> by Clementine Ford, maybe at the Women's Bookshop even. Yeah, great, great place to buy In this
0: definitely buy it at the Women's Bookstore. Definitely
1: at the Women's Bookstore. Mm. Have you been there? It's like uh, a wonderful place. I have not. Well, you're going to meet Carol tonight. Yeah, because she owns the women's bookshop. Woo-hoo. So yeah, so you'll meet her there. That's wonderful. She's a legend. She's she a is a legend. I'm pretty sure I met her
0: last year. Actually, Probably. I think that they didn't. They did the um, the event with me last year, but um, it was such a fly in, fly out visit yeah. last time mm. that I didn't get a chance yeah. to go to the shop. Mm. But yeah, do all your shopping there. Do yeah. all your shopping. Carol is Buy a goddess. Buy it for all the men in your life. Yeah. And before you say, "Well, where's the men's bookstore?" Start one. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if you want it so bad do it yourself <laughs>
2: get organised exactly thank you so much Clementine for coming on this podcast again yeah, would have I'm super us. thrilled to be back here I love you guys love she's on the, on the rag page so any questions now I'll just <laughs> you can go straight to her thanks Leonie Michelle as always and the wonderful Tina for recording Yay, this Tina. podcast thanks Tina bye boys, boys. thank you Women's Bookshop bye to. <laughs>